Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on December the 8th, 2020. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, pawing at the cell bars. Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we have played this past week. We're going to be talking about a gamer's gift guide, not just for the holidays, although you could use it. EverQuest is bigger than EverQuest 2, and we will have a Steam Weekly Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. Short uh, short topics list this week, although that kind of works out in my favor. Um, yeah, well, uh, to be fair, a lot of the news this week is basically gearing up towards the Game Awards. So, yeah, there's not a lot going on because everybody's kind of holding their stuff. That and people complaining about sexism, or, or, and, sorry, transphobia in Cyberpunk 2077. I haven't heard about the transphobia. I have, uh, okay, go ahead, go ahead. This one ought to be good. I think it was Polygon, although Polygon is not the only outlet that has done this, but I think Polygon is, like, sort of the quote-unquote worst offender. Their Uh, review... Well, well, you could say that for, uh, pretty much anything Polygon does, but still... Their review, the first seven paragraphs, that's paragraphs, of their review of Cyberpunk was talking about how it's transphobic. Oh, boy. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about Cyberpunk. And I I remember there was that one headline from a year ago, maybe. I I don't Mm -hmm. know when this was. But they had, like, that uh, billboard that a lot of people said was transphobic, and we talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that, like, I mean, there's technically a context for it, but it's kind of, like, on the line, and people might have made it into a bigger issue than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, but who could say, you know, and, unless you, like, had insider information. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know enough about cyberpunk. I, I mean, I'm interested in the game, but I've learned... I've, I've one, I'm becoming more cynical, and two, I've just been paying attention and learning a lot more these last couple of years about development companies and all the shady shit that's been coming out um, about them, like the mm-hmm. constant sexual assault that takes place inside of Ubisoft. And I just, like, there's enough sort of rumor and speculation about, like, CD Projekt Red as well that I'm like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'm just going to stay away from this one for a while mm-hmm. until, you know, everything dies down and the smoke clears and... So I honestly haven't been paying much attention to Cyberpunk, but it's all over my Twitter feed today because I follow a bunch of games journos and stuff. So, Well, uh, the big uh, things for Cyberpunk, uh, I guess is the Cyberpunk portion of the show now, uh, is someone's getting pissy uh, or in r slash PC gaming and will randomly uh, direct message saying, uh, with a message saying, you've been permanently banned, blah, 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 and... Then they have the entire synopsis of the main plot as the body of the message. That's just a dick move. Yeah. But the other one that uh, is a little bit more relevant, uh, and this is not a lot to really be able to make an entire topic out of, but it seems like we have a topic for Cyberpunk anyway, is I saw some people uh, talking about how it doesn't have a, a... Photosensitive uh, seizure warning, uh, epilepsy, epilepsy warning, I should say. 
and a couple game journals got uh, suffered seizures from playing the game. Oof. That's not good. And there's no accessibility options to be able to uh, to tone it down. Yeah, that's not good. And that's kind of standard. Like, yeah, that's been an industry standard thing for twenty plus years, probably more. But like, you know, sort of my brain and memory. But I mean, I, I, I no longer because I remember playing stuff on like N sixty four that had seizure warnings and the little mm-hmm. things that popped up that say like, you know, if you start to feel lightheaded or whatever, like take a break. And that would have been 25-ish years ago. I don't remember exactly when the N64 came out, right off the top of my head. Mid-90s? Uh, late 90s. Late 90s, okay. I'm pretty sure late 90s. And Sounds we're both... Like call us fake gamers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brain is all over the place tonight. Although I'm not sure I could have pulled that information. Uh, late 90s, wasn't. 96. Yeah, So So mid to late 90s. Yeah. So I, I was close enough, 25 years. Um, but yeah, I guess what started this this conversation was short show, and somehow mm-hmm. we wound up talk, talking about the release date of the N64. Woo. Short show favors me this week. I'm not going to go into all of it. You know what's up, Rage. Yeah. But some stuff going on, and it it is good that I will be getting into bed earlier tonight. I've got mm-hmm. a very early and long day tomorrow. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Stuff and things and games. So, speaking of games? Yeah, talk about the game that you played this so, week. So, this is actually one I've been playing on and off for the last couple weeks. Trying to you know, get a feel for it. And it's Genshin Impact. This is one that's been kind of semi-flying under the radar for the last several, a couple months. Uh, and it's really just now starting to take off outside of, you know, its own little niche. So it's, it, this is going to sound weird how I found this game. It was, uh, I believe Digido Gaming or, uh, 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 Larry Bundy, uh, talking about game ripoffs. I, I'm wanting to lean towards, uh, Larry Bundy. Uh, you know, uh, uh, uh you know that channel, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. All right. How he'll have you know like a top of five uh, gaming ripoffs or that sort of thing, or games that ripped off other games. And this one uh, was talking about how, even though it's a ripoff, it's still a really good game, and it's a semi clone of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. As in, the art style is pretty bang on. If you look at some of the screenshots, which is... Uh, I'm, did I really not link to the primary site? Uh, don't allow that. If you look at some of the screenshots, apart from the fact that it's not Link, there is an impressive uh, copycat going on of just how similar they have the art styles, how similar they have the overall gameplay. Now, they do mix it up. One, no weapon degradation whatsoever. And they have a party system in it. It's primarily a single-player with co-op RPG where you are a god that travels around to... or one of a twin uh, pair of gods that travel from world to world. 
but some big evil snatches your twin sister or twin brother. That's your gender select, by the way, which one gets captured. Uh, and you're trapped in this world and trying to figure out what the fuck. And I'm still in the process of figuring out what the fuck, but they also are still very early in their development. And they only have two of the seven or eight regions, uh, even in the game right now, that they're planning on doing it on the overall roadmap. But another thing that they do to switch things up is that they have a party system. So instead of having Link or, yeah, definitely not Link character. (laughs) Not Link and not Zelda. Yeah. Uh, they have a party system where you take four characters out and can switch uh, to them on the fly. Uh, don't ask how. Video game logic. Ding. Ding. And each one has their own uh, strengths and weaknesses, their own fighting style. Uh, one of, I'm thinking, I think it's seven different element alignments. Uh, so it's... Uh, ties into the enemy weaknesses but also some puzzle gameplay each uh, uh, one has a a auto attack essentially a charged attack and then two uh, or a, a an ability that they could use and then a charged ability that they could use plus a limit break after you deal so much damage or take so much damage I think at least on that second one because I got to admit, the tutorials, it's very much, you know, here's the basics. Okay, now go do your thing. Uh, you can uh, do a powered-up ability. Like, one of the first characters that you unlock is named Amber. And she's an archer for the local city uh, guard. And uh, her... Primary attack is bow and arrow, and a charged up attack is she basically sits and powers up a shot and uh, builds up fire damage on the arrow. And her secondary ability is she launches a a stuffed animal that acts as a decoy, and the charged attack is just throwing it further while her essentially limit break is launching a bunch of arrows up in the air and doing a rain of fire uh, arrows uh, down into a, a area of uh, effect. And it's kind of that same idea with different characters. There's an ice character that you unlock pretty shortly after. Uh, only his uh, secondary ability is more defensive-based, uh, building a shield around himself. Um but there's also the gotcha mechanic, which they're actually somewhat generous with the uh, pulls on it. But it, I also I don't feel compelled to to spin the dot or spin the wheel on it because one, it's kind of out of the way to begin with, and two, they give you the characters that you need to progress the story anyway, <laughs> and there's no that none of that competition going on, so it's kind of. Out of sight, out of mind, really. I mean, I've been playing, I've played it for probably 10 or 15 hours across two different platforms, which I'll get to in a moment, and haven't put a single cent into it. Uh, the premium currency that uh, the trickle income through daily login, or even, not even daily login, it's 
A, log in seven times within three weeks. So one in three to get uh, all the uh, login bonuses. And they still uh, give you additional premium currency. It's actually been fairly generous. So I talked about platforms. So this is actually out on PC, but also mobile. And there's a cross-save compatibility where I could literally stop playing on the mobile and pick up immediately right from the very spot I left off on, on my phone, on my computer, and vice versa. And I, I do feel that it is a lot easier on the computer. It's definitely feels like it's made for a mobile uh, device because it is very generous with its uh, auto aim on uh, ranged characters. Mm-hmm. But you could go in and tune a lot of the uh, 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 the aim assist on, or not aim assist, but the camera assist on it for. Uh, range shots and I found turning it down a bit it was a little twitchy for my liking and it helped a lot for sniping uh, for sniping from far further away than auto assist really helps or auto attack Uh, but uh, on PC I was able to pull off a lot better shots but it also feels like it's more uh, and this comes into what we were talking about before we started recording bias where, to me, playing on PC, you know, I'm there for you know an hour or two uh, playing something. But on mobile, I'm, uh, I've trained myself. It's a pick up and play experience. You know, pick up, play a little bit, put it away. Oh, and I should say it's also on PS4. I forgot about that one. I knew it was multiple platforms, but I couldn't remember the fourth one. Two mobiles, uh, Windows, and PS4. Uh where I've trained myself that mobile games are, you know, a passing interest, uh, pop in, play a little bit, pop out. Uh, and it's kind of worked that way with the uh, Gishin Impact, but then I can play it on PC for a little bit more uh, substance. You know, playing it for longer periods of time, uh, going uh, to do something more uh, involved. Uh, there's... Uh, every time they patch the game, they include a trial run of four characters that also have a battle arena attached to them. So not just uh, the characters that they put in uh, to the uh, to the gacha mechanic, but you could try them out before you even start rolling for them. And they give you uh, different resources for trying them. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like, cool. Yeah, like I said, it's been pretty uh, positive in uh, or. or uh, a pretty positive positive uh experience with it i haven't really felt like it's uh geared at least yet towards uh you know i have to spin the gotcha uh wheel to be able to get a character that will make this uh, uh playable now i will say that if you spin uh, a lot to get some of the more powerful characters or maybe not more powerful but more situationally better characters because there's dungeons in the game it's a Zelda ripoff so of course there's dungeons and different dungeons have different puzzle elements in them or enemy types that is uh, strong or weak to particular elements 
So if you go into one dungeon where, okay, well, I need a fire character and my fire character is a ranged, uh, is a ranger, but she's not exactly ideal for this. I could still do it, but it would be hard. It's harder for me because it's not a melee character or vice versa. You know, I need to snipe something with a fireball, but my fire character is melee based. That might be the uh, one kind of, uh, you know, gotcha moment, but they don't railroad you onto a particular quest line. There's a primary quest line, but then there's three or four different side quests that you could go do and unlock more characters that way as well. And on top of that, you're still earning the premium currency to uh, be able to do draws if you want. But then again, you could just go start mining stuff and uh, do some crafting. There's a very basic crafting system. Uh, it's basically go to go out, mine or or catch fish, as in swimming and grabbing them with your hand. <laughs> so you're noodling. Uh, pretty much. Uh, uh, and you could uh, exchange the ore for various items. Uh, cooking's a little bit more evolved where you could refine different things that you find. So, like, if you go uh, get a lot of berries, you could refine them down into jam, which takes time to process. And then you could use the jam to make sandwiches or something. And as you uh, get your adventurer level up, which is your overall, like, account level, which is unlocked via doing quests, doing uh, different things on the map, killing uh, many bosses, which I'll get to you'll uh, unlock more things to do and more systems. Like uh, the dungeons start to unlock uh, based off of uh, adventure level. Basically, they're trying to prevent you from uh, speedrunning the game, essentially. And there is a energy system in it as well. You know, the, the typical mobile style. But it's not attached to everything. It's attached to dungeons rerunning them it's attached to essentially waypoints to get treasure and mini bosses uh, as far as i could tell at least at my adventurer level where you go in and uh, uh essentially start the encounter and that costs so much energy which honestly I hadn't played long enough to even deplete yet, and I'm adventure level 15 or so. After, you know, about 10 hours or so. But then again, right. I'm just one to also just wander uh, around uh, with my little glider. Oh, you get the uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild glider, by the way, pretty early on to be able to just uh, do your thing. There's uh, little secrets to find. Uh, there's uh, hidden areas to go explore. Like I said, it's been quite impressive overall it's well worth a check out if you like these sort of pseudo open world or i guess this way and this time really open world uh rpgs that's not terribly heavy a story at least not yet uh voiceovers are pretty good uh, some of the voices can get annoying but that's you know voice acting for you right right but yeah i'm definitely worth a shot especially if you're one that wants something that you can play on multiple systems. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's, uh, 
I'm assuming it's free to play as well on uh, uh, PS4, and you just need uh, you know your online subscription for PS Plus for it, because yeah, that's how it is with consoles. But you know, I will play it a bit on PC. Go uh, play it on uh, pick out up backup on mobile. Play it there. It's been uh, quite good actually, and, yeah. and there is. Quite a lot if you want to start deep diving into different systems. Like, uh, have it really messed with the making uh, or improving weapons? Because I'm still feels like I'm in early enough game that I could just go you know, deal with what I pick up. There's an entire cha- enchantment uh, improvement system going on. There's uh, various uh, charms and uh, things that you could uh, build up as well and uh, improve and combine. And each character has five equipment slots on top of weapons to be able to deal with. So a lot of stuff to really deep dive if you want to. Also a lot of ground if you really want to. Yeah. Um, I've said a couple of times I want to play it, and I definitely do. And mm-hmm. I will at some point. I'm, I'm waiting. I've actually got one game that I got because I had something like 10 or $12 of google play rewards money from doing surveys that was about to expire yeah so i bought a couple of games on mobile to play but i'm just waiting to actually start using my new phone uh yeah. i think i told you that my the case the second case i got didn't fit my phone so i sent that one back and i just ordered another case and if it does if this one doesn't fucking fit i might just finally throw in the towel and be like fuck it i'm gonna start using my new phone anyways yeah and hope but for the best is- yeah, that's right. That's gonna be like you, absolutely. So, hopefully, in a, in another couple of weeks or maybe after Christmas, uh, I'll be able to talk about a couple of mobile games that I've wanted to play. Because I, I do, I have always wanted to find a mobile game that I can sit down and play for you know hours at a time if I mm-hmm. really wanted to. Um, yeah, and this is one that you definitely could. Uh, I still have a problem with on-screen controls, which this does have, of course. But it's simplistic enough that I could wrap my head around it. Yeah. Yeah, There's one movement stick, and all the other controls are on the right-hand side. Your primary attack is a nice large button that I could repeatedly hammer. Oh, yeah. Hammer that button, baby. But yeah, I mean, it draws a lot of inspiration from uh, Breath of the Wild, but it still does its own thing enough that it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, Nintendo's going to shut this down anytime soon. I mean, it is also a Chinese game because, of course it is, so, right? Right. Uh, But yeah, I mean, just the party mechanic is uh, quite impressive where you can just swap back and forth and then just pause and start eating cheese. Oh, wait, that's Skyrim. <laughs> also Breath of the Wild. Well, uh, this isn't quite just eating cheese. Uh, it's a lot better off if you eat turkeys. Or, yes. sorry, chickens. Uh, but, yeah, you're able to build up enough uh, food pretty quickly. But there's also a limit of how much you can eat as well. So, yeah, if the character gets full, well, better swap out, right? <laughs> uh, too realistic can't play zero out of ten would not bang yeah would not bang 
Not I do, enough but video I do game like, logic. I do like the fact that, you know, they tried to avoid, well, the cheese mechanic. Eh? 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 Eh. Cool. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to check it. out. Uh, if, yeah. if not on mobile, uh, on PC as well. It's free as there as well. Yep, eventually I'll play it. I'll get around to it. Although, it's probably going to slide a little bit farther down my list than it already was. Um, because of what playing this game has been making me get <laughs> into. Uh, so, Project Wingman. Uh, that showed up in last week's Discovery Queue. You're welcome. And I went and I bought it. And since then, let me pull this up on Steam. How much have I played Project Wingman? Uh, 19.3 hours in the past week have I played Project Wingman. So, uh, it's, it's real, real good. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk about it as generally as I possibly can. But this game is like a, a love letter or an homage to what I and I think most uh, like Ace Combat fans, at least from like what I've read on forums and you know stuff like that, like what most Ace Combat fans think of as like the peak of the series so far. So right up front, if you like or are a big fan of the Ace Combat series, buy this game. It's worth it. It's great. You'll love it. It hits all the right points and all the right vibes. And if you want to completely go into it blind, just just go buy it. It's it's worth it. It's twenty five bucks. Fucking buy it. Why are you still here? Go buy it. Um, because because it's so much of an homage to the older Ace Combat games, even with me being as general as possible, when I talk about some things, you might be like, oh, okay, I know what they're doing. And it could, you know, could spoil part of that experience for you. And the production values on this game are tip-top. The voice acting is awesome. The soundtrack feels like it could be just dropped straight into an Ace Combat game. The whole mission design and layout and the HUD and just everything is a love letter to the older Ace Combat games. And genuinely, like, it feels like how I remember Ace Combat being from, you know, the early and mid-2000s. It feels like you could just say, instead of Ace Combat 7, you could say, hey, here's the next Ace Combat game. And I would believe you, you know, if I didn't know what it was otherwise. It's great. Um, So go buy it. And then you can skip ahead if you want to miss it to whatever the timestamp is for the next thing. I'm going to get into it a little more detailed. Um, The game is not perfect. It's got some issues, um, particularly the ending. And I'm not going to, like, spoil the story. I'll talk about it more generally when I get there. But the ending to the main story is unfortunately a bit of a letdown. Um, But otherwise, like I said, it's Ace Combat through and through. Um... The, it's it's running in Unreal Engine 4, and it looks phenomenal. Um, plane models, contrails from missiles, and um, uh, afterburner flames, and clouds. And to the danger zone. Absolutely. Clouds and weather, um, sunlight, reflections, shadows, uh, the ground itself, and the actual buildings that are, that are modeled. It does do that thing that um, pretty much all flight sim games have issues with or, or you know flight games i shouldn't say flight sims this is definitely not a sim um but flight games do when, with ground scatter that's you know 2d because you're not for the most part down there anyways 
but the stuff that they do model looks really good and and especially on the ground combat focused missions it feels like they put a lot more effort into it water textures look amazing um the cockpit views are really detailed and have a partially functioning uh readouts and displays um the the radar you you can choose there's options you can choose to have either like the full hud from like if you're flying in third person um be present if you're in the cockpit you can use a partial hud or you can turn the hud completely off if you're in cockpit mode um and if you turn it off you can still function you get uh airspeed altitude and radar readout your weapons are kind of hit or miss some cockpits uh that have uh prominent heads-up display will display them on that but older aircraft like the f4 or the mig-21 and stuff like that that don't really have heads-up displays uh those are not fun to use like that unless i guess you want like a really authentic fly by the seat of your pants experience (laughs) but very detailed cockpit you can look around and you actually can see like part of your pilot's body and it interacting with stuff as you maneuver around the game can be played in VR, don't have a VR headset for my PC, can't test it. I would imagine that it looks great. Um, although on forums, people have been complaining the most about VR and it having sort of issues. Um, Performance-wise, no major bugs. I mean, the game has got a few bugs um, that I'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, nothing major, no game crashes, no weird, at least in my case, no weird, like, texture issues. Um, the frame rate tends to stay pegged out at 144 because that's, I've, you know, it, I've got it set to my monitor refresh rate. Occasionally it dips below that to 90 or so. And then in a couple of very specific scenes, it'll drop to 60 that are like really intense. But I've never seen it go below 60 in any circumstance, even like flying through crazy cloud formations and with explosions and weather effects. So, it runs really well. Um, full keyboard, mouse, controller, HOTAS support. Um, always with these types of games, sometimes you get some weird inconsistencies with it detecting a HOTAS setup. Mine worked just fine, plug and play. I changed the button configuration around a little bit to suit me. But it detected it and ran it right from the start. I have never played Ace Combat or an Ace Combat type game with a HOTAS. Um, Ace Combat 6 for Xbox 360, you could buy, like, a special edition that had a flight stick, um, but they've never had a a PC release until now, like, Ace Combat 7 is on PC, um, and, um, so this is the first time I've played one of these games with a HOTAS, and it is a, (laughs) it's a great experience, uh, love it to death, I've, I've, have got it, like, sitting over here to the side, like, I have to put it away or set it off to the side for work. And if I need to use my desk for anything else, because my HOTAS basically takes up my entire desk with the keyboard in the middle. Um, but that has been very good. My kid is very into it. He walked in here uh, Friday night, I think. Ooh, what are you doing? Oh, it's this cool new game I got, buddy. And then he sat and he played for a while. And within and like crashed. five minutes... He did, he crashed a lot, but within like five minutes, he kind of had the hang of it. His hands are too small for a hotas, unfortunately, but he, he had the hang of it. Kids, kids are natural. Comes by it honest. Good, good at video games. I'm very proud of him. Um, but I'm going to set, (laughs) oh, I'm going to set him up with it on, uh, the, uh, in the living room 
and give him a controller and let him play with that. I think he'd like it. For the most part, this game actually is pretty kid-friendly. I don't know what it's actually rated. There's some swearing, but there's no violence that you can, like, see. You know, there's no, like, gore. There's no, like, physical violence. I mean, you are blowing up people and, in the abstract, killing people. But uh, not a lot of language, no blood, no gore, no sexual content. I don't even think there's any sexual innuendo in it. Just some swearing. So that's a sort of your mileage may vary thing, I guess, for kids. But I wouldn't have a problem. I, I don't have a problem letting my kid play it. But anyways, playing it, playing the game of the Hotas is wonderful and amazing. And I don't know how I'll ever go back to playing older Ace Combat games without it. Which I'm gonna, I, I might, I might get set my Hotas up actually to play uh, Ace Combat emulated on my PC. <laughs> that also might be a nightmare. But anyways, Project Wingman. Um, this game did not get the licenses to use real aircraft. So you have planes that you can tell exactly what they are. If you know anything about planes with just like some very subtle differences. Um, I assume enough that they're not in legal trouble because they are selling this for money and haven't immediately been sued. Um, and then what they've done is they've changed the designation. So for example, like the F-15, uh, is a pretty common plane that I think most people know what it is. And there's different versions that are designated by the letters. So there's the F-15C, the F-15E. Um, and what they've done for almost every real-world plane is they will change the, the lettering around. So instead of it being F-15E, it's F-E-15. And that's good so, enough, So I it's guess. the Iron 15? Absolutely. Um, and then for Russian planes, like uh, the SU for the... Sukhoi planes, uh, they'll they'll change it to SK instead of SU, but you know they're exactly the same otherwise. Um, and then you know few minor visual differences. And then they have a, a set of planes on their own that they've uh, their you know own creations of like future <laughs> tech or whatever. Um, minor disappointment with the planes. I'm assuming because of the licensing, the plane roster, or or perhaps because of the dev team. I think it was three devs who were primarily who made this game. Um, they might have not just been able to get it all done. But there's only 20 planes, and, you know, that sounds like a lot, but there are some very noticeable things missing, like the A-10, um, any sort of stealth aircraft. Oh, the um, winged gun. Absolutely. The the winged gun. Um, but any sort of stealth aircraft, um, some noticeable misses in the... Uh, sort of the specific lineup. Like, normally there's a few versions of each of these planes. Um, like, the F-18, there's, I don't know, a, a million variants of the F-18, and you see different ones show up in the Ace Combat games to fulfill specific roles. Whereas in this one, it's just, like, generally you get the one that's the multi-role version, and then you get a wider selection of weapons to use. Which, comparisons to Ace Combat in general, like... um Story-wise, this story could fit perfectly into the sort of the strange, real, or, like, you know, weird Earth version of Ace Combat. Because, um, like, there's a thing that happens, and it causes some changes in the world government. Because, like, it's set on Earth, but something happens and sets up, like, a different sort of timeline. So none of the nations that exist in in the game that are talked about are real, real world. There's some... Uh, noticeable like geography you could be like oh yeah that's generally in North America and that's Africa but the landscape has changed um, so you know it kind of exists in the same strange real position that Ace Combat does 
So everything that they do like feels like it fits perfectly within that framework. The storytelling mechanisms are generally the same. Ace Combat does have a lot of cutscenes. Um, I had forgotten how many cutscenes the Ace Combat series has, in uh, especially in like five, um, five and six. There's only one cutscene in this, and it can only barely be considered a cutscene. Honestly, most of the mission, uh, or most of the storytelling, is done in the the mission briefings the missions themselves and then the after action reports there's no you know cutscenes between battles pro and con i mean you get through the missions a lot faster cuz you're not having to wait for cutscenes but i do i do like the cutscenes um i miss them a little bit um it's got a cast of characters that feels like it could have been ripped out of any ace combat game you know you've got your kind of quirky squad mates and you're the silent protagonist and you've got the quirky loudmouth awax guy and like the commander who's you know, got his own personality quirks and, you know, so on and so forth. All those characters track. The voice acting is definitely on par with, if not better than the um, Ace Combat 5 and 6, which were the ones that I mostly compared it to. The soundtrack feels like a good mix of Ace Combat 4 and 5. Ace Combat 4 had a lot of synth stuff in it. Ace Combat 5 had a lot of orchestral stuff in it, and there's a mix of the two in there. Um, Feels like Again, like it could just been pulled out of any Ace Combat game, and you wouldn't know the difference. Um, it it feel like I sat down and I started playing, and it's like, okay, this mini missiles takes out this type of plane, and that was correct. And this type of missile can be used in this way, and like everything maps sort of one to one when you're playing on normal mode. So that was all good. Graphics all good. Planes a little lacking in in their variety, but I I think I understand why, and they're good. Um, story, voice acting, all good. Um, and the story structure too, in broad strokes, follows the the Ace Combat story of like strange real world. Some type of war happens. You're like the guy, you know, like the greatest pilot that ever lived, and everyone like comes to think of you as like some kind of god of the battlefield. There's some like crazy super weapon stuff, and a couple of like weird boss fights. Yeah, Metal that... Gear got out, and yeah. Okay. There's a couple of weird boss fights that don't make any sense at all, but then you're like, oh yeah, that right. This is you know basically Ace Combat, which is also sci-fi in a weird way. So, you know, it, it follows that structure pretty much perfectly. It's just mwah, chef kiss. Um, I think advances in technology, just in general, have allowed for greater uh, number of stuff going on. Like, there's one mission that is this huge air war. of like an escalating air war between like both sides of the conflict and there are genuinely like 200 planes in this fight when you show up and that i don't think that could have ever been done on the playstation 2 not without like some crazy trickery and it's just like crazy how messy that gets but it's it's wonderful i loved it differences from ace combat the ai is way better um, I don't know how much of that is just sort of development of technology over time or how much it is that they really focused on that because maybe that was an area that they felt like Ace Combat never really fixed because the AI in, brain, in, in Ace Combat series is just brain dead. They're, your AI companions are useless. Um, even like your wingmen in like 5 and Belkin War and 6 that you have direct control over, it, at least a little bit of control, they're pretty much useless. But in this, the AI are really are, are fairly competent. In the after-action mission report, you can see how much um, damage they did and like how many kills that they got and targets they took out. And in general, um, 
aside from a couple of the unique missions, the AI gets about 25% of the total kills in, um, which is significant. And your allies are useful. Um, you can actively watch them like take down targets and maneuver. The enemy AI is a lot smarter. They try to actively evade a lot more often and will deploy flares um, or use other types of countermeasures that exist within the game. They'll uh, switch between weapon types. Um, they'll go for gun kills if you're, you know, really squirrely and they can't shoot you down with missiles. They're they're smart. They're they're dangerous, and I, I really like that. It makes the game a lot more dynamic, and you have to pay attention. And your loadout matters a lot more. Um, although you get a lot more flexibility with that in Ace Combat historically. I don't know about Ace Combat Seven. Uh, I didn't actually look this up, and I haven't played Ace Combat Seven, the one that came out last year. But classically in Ace Combat, you could only take one secondary weapon. Um, so typically, you would look at the mission and just pick whatever the best secondary weapon was for the mission's primary goals, and then you just have to rely on the standard missiles and your machine gun for everything else. But in this, most planes have at least three second or two or three secondary weapons they can take. There's a couple planes that only have one secondary weapon, and there are a couple planes that have fixed loadouts and you can't change them. But most of the aircraft can take two or three secondary weapons. And so you can pick three different ones, or you could stack them to get a lot more of one type um, for example, the multi-launch anti-air missiles. Um, depending on what plane, they can track two, three, or four targets at a time. But you can stack those. And so, you know, if you take two sets of them and they could track, say, four, now you can track eight targets at once. So I think that's a pretty cool feature for if you want to stack your weapons together. But otherwise, it gives you flexibility. Most missions have priority ground targets and air targets, and they, they're, you know, focused more towards one or the other. But it still is a good idea to take uh, multiple special weapons for different circumstances. And the first time you play through the game, you never know when a boss fight's going to pop up. I know where they all are now, having played through the story twice already, and I'm working through it a third time. Um, but uh, did I mention I like this game? <laughs> um, so I know where they all are now, and I kind of know where I can you know, cheese certain things or get away with one loadout versus another. But the first time you play through, you don't know where, where the bosses are going to come from. And it has a variety of boss types. There's not just aircraft bosses. Like the big boss is an aircraft, but there are ground bosses and naval bosses. So that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. You do lose the ability to directly control your wingmates, which kind of sucks, but they're a lot more effective anyways. So at the end of the day, that's okay. Um, and then the only other thing I can really talk about without getting super duper big into spoilers is uh, the ending. I thought the ending sucked. Um, it was a big letdown overall. Uh, what it does, just in general broad terms, is that Ace Combat does this a lot. That you'll have your ending where that there's the bot, the, like the big boss fight, and you beat the big boss, and then there's a, like a victory lap mission where you do something. Like in Ace Combat Four, after you defeat uh, the enemy Ace Squadron and stop the super weapon, there's like a victory lap mission where that you go and it's a, a relatively easy mission and you blow up some stuff and it's like the leaders of the enemy faction. Um, and there's like a radio recording playing and you get to hear some stuff about the game and the end of the war and what's been going on. Uh, Ace combat five does the sort of victory lap mission as well. There's like the big super <laughs> weapon. Um, and it's just like a, a mission where you go up, and I can't remember exactly what it is. There's some, like, big plane or 
missile or something and you'd like you just like you go up and you shoot that down and it's the same kind of thing like you know you've beat the big bad and he's launched his big missile and you just go and you shoot it down as like a victory lap mission and you get to hear some stuff about the game so this game i thought did that you have the big boss fight and then there's a victory lap mission where you're doing a thing and then it has another big boss fight and then it just ends and it was, it's really, that really sucks. Cause it like takes this, takes all of the sort of wind out of your sails and the way that it ends. Um, and I can't, I, you know, without getting more specific and way ruining the entirety of the story, like I can't say why that is, but it was just like, oh, that sucks. But it's like the game is like, you know, 95% of the way there and then it falls down on its face. But then it picks itself back up and gives you conquest mode. Which is, it describes it as a roguelite mode, and I guess. Um, so what it is, is that uh, it's the entirety of the map, like the, the country where all of the campaign missions have been taking place. It divides them up into sectors. And you start with like a really shitty trainer plane that has like a machine gun and like two missiles. And they, you know, slap you on the ass and send you out there. <laughs> and you fight through these different I bet you war like zones. That one. Absolutely. You fight through these different war zones, and they have pretty basic objectives, like, you know, just shoot down a certain number of planes, or shoot down some priority targets, or blow up some ground targets, whatever. And you earn money to build an air fleet, and then you earn something called Prestige, which lets you unlock uh, more planes and then special weapons for you, the player, to use. And you do this over and over and over, sort of working your way up. And the farther you go, the harder it gets. There's like a difficulty meter that rises as you shoot down stuff and complete missions. And you just do that, I guess, ad nauseum until you're able to win. Um, I've got to difficulty level 15. There's an achievement for getting 40. So I don't know if 40 is the max or if it keeps going and uh, just like that's the last place that you get an achievement for. But um, the mode is a lot of fun. Um, the quick drop in action of the, the fighting, uh, building your own air group is fun. Um, like I said, your allies are actually useful. Um, and you get to get the big airships. So in the, the main story, there are airships, but they're not like big zeppelins or whatever. They're like giant fuck off planes that use, um, like they have several missile launchers on them and flat cannons. And some of the more powerful ones have rail guns, um, and they like in the in the campaign like they serve specific purposes and uh, at one point they're like a boss fight and you can have like up to four of these airships in your fleet and then something like twenty five planes total if you like max it out so far I haven't been able to max it out I haven't gotten far enough um, and it's I mean it's a lot of fun because the you know moment to moment gameplay is so good and the AI, AI is good and the soundtrack is good and the graphics are good like. It's just really good to play. And a run, I mean, I guess it is kind of a roguelike because it's like a run, and when you fail, you start over. Um, but a, a run usually lasts me about two hours, and I get farther every time during the two hours because that's enough usually to unlock like the next tier better plane. So, you know, they're faster. They carry more weapons, more powerful weapons, so you can accomplish more in a shorter amount of time. Uh, at most I've conquested about a third of the map so far. So it's a really good mode that adds a lot of replayability. Um, that's where the game experiences the most bugs. Um, 
there was one that they just fixed where that it would sometimes spit you out in front of a mountain and like you'd spawn in front of a mountain and crash and then that was it for your run oof um and there was a bug that affected the lighting and if you got a a, a mission that was at a certain time of day on a certain subset of maps because it's just got like a random set of maps that it pulls from uh and then randomizes like the the time of day that you're fighting at so if you got one specific time with one specific map it was like a whiteout and you just couldn't see it was too bright so that kind of sucked but they have fixed those two things but yeah it's i mean this is potential game of the year material for me i don't know i'm gonna have to think about it because it's right here at the end of the year and I played a lot of really good games this year, both from like, you know, we played several really good games for Game Club. And then like I started off the year with Divinity 2, which feels like a million years ago now. Yeah, but I in January, to play that actually. I picked it yeah, up but, uh, last Christmas and I haven't really, I'm, hell, I never even got off the island. Yeah, but you know, in January of 2020, I played through the entirety of Divinity 2. And, you know, so I have to think about an entire year of like, in some, you know, in in many ways, 2020 has sucked so hard. But because of the nature of our hobby, I've gotten to play so many more games this year than I otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. So, but like this game, and and I have to try to balance out how much of my feelings for this game come from the nostalgia I have for the series that it's you know paying homage to. But I mean, I loved it so much that I downloaded and set up and re um, reinstalled the. Uh, ps2 emulator i mean there's there's a couple but you know a ps2 emulator and the older ace combat games for ps2 so i got four five and belkin war and then i bought uh ace combat six fires of liberation um it was xbox 360 only um but it's compatible like it's backwards compatible or forwards compatible whatever with the xbox one which i have one so to date, the only three X, uh, Ace Combat games I haven't played are the original. I've never played Air Combat, um, so I guess technically that's not Ace Combat, but you know that's the first game in the series. And then I didn't play the 2015 or 2016 free-to-play one that was on PS4 only, and that game is now dead, so I couldn't play it even if I wanted to. And then I haven't played Ace Combat 7. Otherwise, every other game in the series, including... The spinoff titles and the ones for like DS and PSP, I've played all of those. So, two thumbs up. Love this game. You should still buy it. Even if you stuck around for whatever reason, you should still buy it. Go buy it. It's great. You mean right now? Yeah, right now. Everyone who's listening right now, turn this garbage off. Fuck us. Go buy Project Wingman and play that. Unless you hate flight games, in which case I can't help you. Uh, I'm more indifferent, but eh. <laughs> Fair play. Um, so yeah, that's it for games we played this week. Um, woo! Woo! So, moving on to our general topic, uh, the Gamer's Gift Guide. This could technically, because of the season that it is, this could also be like a holiday buyer's guide. But, I mean, you most of, I think, actually all of my ideas are not holiday-specific. Uh, same. So, As a matter of fact, some of mine might be better off uh, during the summer, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. So, if you 
have a gamer in your life and you're bad at buying gifts, or if you know some people in your life who are bad at buying gifts for you, the gamer, you can let them listen to this and be like, hey, fucko, get something off of this list. Maybe don't say that to them. (laughs) Maybe go past this part and then let them start listening (laughs) to our buyer's guide. So, fucko. (laughs) Yeah, you fucko. (laughs) So, I guess I'll start off and I'll do one that's not probably as obvious uh, because we both jumped immediately to two things and one of which we agreed on but uh, this is the other one that was kind of uh, my first thought and it's snack boxes because that's one thing gamers love to do is snack right eat terrible food interesting yeah and there's so many just one-off and subscription boxes out there that you could really tailor it to a particular uh, like or uh, even dietary requirement. Uh, there's jerky ones. There's you know, just chip boxes. There's different country boxes. Uh, as in countries, not the type of music. By the way. Actually, I'm sure that there's a country box as in the type of music as well, but that's, that's not the point. But... It's a, well, a gift that keeps on giving if you give a subscription to it. But, you know, it's something that everybody could use a little bit more variety in their lives. And snack boxes are, you know, typically are pretty varied on what they have. Unless you get something that has a laser laser focus. Now, I should say mine are all like general ideas like this, but... Yeah, you know, this was one that you know kind of jumped out to me. This yeah, you know, that would be really neat. You know, get like uh, a, a Asian or uh, a European uh, focus snack box with stuff that I never heard of uh, to try out. You know, yeah, that is really cool. Um, I did not think of that at all. Yeah, and gamers um, are notorious for loving snacks, but yeah, you know, get them something. Uh, yeah, you, know, you could get something a hell of a lot healthier than you know. Uh, Doritos out of that, right? Indeed. Um, so yeah, one that I thought of that was uh, one that you didn't think of uh, was getting uh, art commissioned by someone. Um, I, I assume that we're going to put all of these in the show notes because yeah. I've got like, links to stuff. Well, I don't um, have links. Mine are more general ideas, but we'll, we'll put links your links in and uh, yeah. we get, I, I, we'll figure it out. Right, but so art commissions. Um, there's There tends to be a lot of overlap between people who are gamers and also people who do things like tabletop or who are into anime or who perhaps are, are more invested in a certain genre of film or book than sort of a, you know, quote, average person or a non-gamer. Um, and anything that they have in their life, like there is an artist out there who you can commission to do it. Uh, you can get, you know, cool... Uh, spins or ideas or takes on characters that they enjoy and love or on franchises they they enjoy playing. Or you can get something totally custom that's made to them. Like, um, you know, giving someone, giving an artist example, some pictures of them and saying like, hey, you know, this person. Um, or their character in, uh, in a game. Yeah. But, you know, th- like this person, I want to have them done up to look like they belong in whatever game universe or to... You know, if they were Link or Zelda or Master Chief or whatever, you know, and and do that. Um, or you can d- get custom characters made of them. 
custom takes on characters that they like for their games, like all, all kinds of stuff. Um, I've had a lot of character art made in the last year um, because I've had some extra money with which to do so. Um, and so like the links that I have for this one are all artists that I have, have paid to do art for me and have, you know, examples of their art that you can go see. But I mean, I think art is, is a good thing for like, is good for people like to have to display, or even if they just keep like uh, a JPEG or a PNG on their computer and use it as a screenshot background or something like, it's just nice to see things that you like and that are unique and um really like match your personality so art can be expensive though this might be the most expensive thing that we suggest because depending on what type and how you know uh customized or how you know specific you want to get with it and then if you print it or have it put on a canvas or something like that you can easily spend 150 or 200 dollars on a single commission piece so bear that in mind before you even start looking at it. Like it's pretty rare that you find something really cheap. And typically if you find something that's really cheap, either it's somebody that doesn't know how valuable their work can be. Um, or they're like just starting out and they don't have a lot of experience. So they might not be able to provide the type of, uh, depth or art or whatever that you are requesting. And I would extend this, not just uh, beyond artists, but also, uh, you know, just game art as well, because, you know, there is a lot of companies that carry various uh, uh, video game properties uh, in their catalogs. And, you know, if you want to do something that's licensed, you could also do that and have, you know, especially uh, some of the sci-fi games that has just so much uh, concept art that's available out there and uh, art is probably a, a really good option just in general if you don't want to yeah. have something personalized. I just wanted to add uh, to that as well before getting to my second one. Yeah. But, you know, just a, uh, or hell, a t-shirt, you know, or, you know, something uh, of their uh, uh, particular uh, like or uh, passion. You know, it doesn't have to be a framed uh, you know, museum quality piece as well. Uh, yeah, to, no, to, absolutely. To, which uh, is something I started to write, and then we—I uh, remember you talked about uh, art, and I thought you were going to cover stuff like uh, T-shirts and scu- and uh, little miniature sculptures well, as well. I, you know, more I merchandise am. style. I am oh. actually, but I separated oh, the two. So, ah, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I just ruined good. it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, see, I could bond things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's just differences i guess in the way that we think or maybe approach yeah. this because you know to me like they, they are two separate categories because i think of art as being different from like mm-hmm. swag yeah well i was thinking uh you know just even official art and then you start getting into you know where do you uh uh separate swag and art yeah you know, i mean amoebas is one thing but you know uh then you start getting some of the uh uh, figures that uh, is push, uh, put out as collector's pieces. Well, is that swagger yeah. art, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. So, yeah, well, I ruined that one for you. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I, you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and say, like, I, I, my, I, my next category was like titled swag related to the franchise that your gamer enjoys, and I had a, a couple links to some sites that do like t-shirts and stickers and 
figures and um and then you know etsy is on there obviously because you can find somebody to do anything on etsy mm-hmm. um yeah and sometimes and just it's even that, legal sometimes and you know that kind of stuff and like this runs the whole gamut of like you know nintendo controller like nes controller belt buckles all the way up to like you know one sixteenth or one twenty fourth like scale models of like space marines you know you can and and t-shirts and bumper stick like you you know you can run the whole gamut so you know if and when in doubt ask the person like the kind of stuff that they like or are into or maybe would appreciate having and then go you know you can go that route and buy them some swag all right now you go ahead okay so my next one uh is the other one that immediately jumped to mine and i know it's on yours as well but this is also a bond on a couple ideas I had at first, but they uh, narrowed it down. Gift cards. Because of course, right? And yeah. I, I just want to get this kind of out of the way because everybody could, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's a certain notion of gift cards are too impersonal to give as a, as a big gift. And I do understand that, but also gamers can be very particular. Yeah. Uh, and they can like very certain games or very certain genres or hell, even just nitpicking particular games out of genres <laughs> to the point that it's practically impossible to give them a game that you know that they would like. I mean, you could take a stab at it and maybe introduce them to something different. However, you know, if you want to take the safe bet, you know, a gift card is not a bad solution especially to a service that they use a lot like steam or uh, the epic game store uh, origin uh, uh, to uh, xbox to playstation to nintendo uh, hell even just google play or itunes uh, if yeah. they're a mobile centric gamer because, or even specific games like Roblox. Yeah, true. Or basically, any game that has its own premium currency. A lot of them actually have gift cards that you can find in stores. Mm-hmm. And pretty much anything made by Wargaming or um, Activision, you know, they can they'll have like gift cards you can pick up for their you know premium currency that you can give to people if that's a game that they really enjoy playing a yeah. lot. Or uh, just give them Tom on whatever subscriptions you know that they take part in. You know, if they t- use Game Pass, give them a few months of Game Pass time and a gift card. Uh, get them uh, Xbox Live or PlayStation Plus uh, time. That sort of thing. Uh, because, you know, it it's one of those hidden costs that people don't really think of, but does really add up. Yeah. Uh, and for something like Game Pass, uh, yeah, it could introduce them if... They don't take part in it already, but, you know, they use console or PlayStation. Or I should say the Xbox or, or, or sorry, the MPC. Ugh. Sorry, I was looking at some of my notes. Uh, if you're playing, uh, if you know that they're playing on PC or Xbox and you think, you know, maybe they would like this. Uh, you know, the Game Pass isn't a bad idea to give them to try something else. If you think that you would like some of the variety of it. So that's my well second slash third one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the rest of mine are specific. So I yeah. had the general ones, um, and then I had some specific ones. Now, these are all books, books that I have 
interacted with in some significant way, either read or reviewed or just like know a shitload about um, for one in particular, which is which is weird. But it's not out yet. It's not it's not released yet. But um, so I, I'm gonna kind of alternate between like a you know more and less serious one. So I'm gonna start with a more serious book. Uh, it's called Reality Is Broken. Um, uh, why games make us better and how they can change the world. Um, I w- I use this book along with one of the others that I'm going to talk about um, as like huge major sort of pillars in my master's thesis because my master's thesis was on the psychology of video games. Um, this book is a little bit a little bit older now. I don't know how dated the information is in it. Like I've got it sitting here next to me actually, which I guess you can't see that, but it's sitting here next to me. Let oh, me, I can see bang, it. Let me bang the books together. That's that's me slapping two of these books together because I own them personally, um, but this book was published in 2011 or 2012, um, so some of the information in it might be dated. But it covers a lot of ba- psychology basics about gaming, um, from things like simple things like flow state all the way up to more complex interactions that can happen in MMOs or other social gaming spaces. Um, it's not like super academically focused. I used it in my thesis as like sort of a jumping off point to get into more detailed research about certain things. But if you're someone who is interested and does like when I go off on my little psychology tangents, this is a book that would give you a really good basic introduction to a lot of those things um, and how sort of psychology and sociology can be used in games both from a mechanics perspective to make your gameplay more engaging and interesting and fun and from a storytelling perspective of how interacting with games can affect your psychology um or your your mental state um in various ways and you know i I totally get if some of that sounds like it's like way too serious i promise it's not like an academic textbook it's meant for general audiences to read so it's a good book. I recommend it to anyone who, you know, is a, a gamer that wants to learn a little bit more or knows a gamer who uh, likes to learn about this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I feel dumb for keeping on more general topics. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's good. It provides balance. <laughs> As all things should be. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so my next one is storage. Storage, storage, storage. The bane of existence for practically any gamer and this really is more for pc and console gamers sorry mobile gamers on this one uh and this really depends on what you're gaming on Uh, it could just be a new hard drive for their uh rig uh hard drives are uh, especially platter drives are pretty cheap to get massive amounts of storage uh, at decent speeds, uh, a USB uh, hard drive for the newer consoles, which is lacking on internal storage because, of course, there are uh, USB sticks. Uh, yeah, just are just micro uh, micro SD cards for uh, maybe if you know that they're on an Android phone and they're and they don't use a micro USB micro SD card, or if they just got a uh, new switch and you know, don't have a S- micro SD card uh, just helps out more than you could imagine if you're not a gamer 
just be able to download and keep a lot more on your particular system of choice. And this one requires a little bit more technical knowledge and also knowing the gamer a little bit more than just, you know, yeah, here, have a gift card. But it is a very worthwhile investment for someone that you know, might just be putting it off. You know, like, eh, I'll, I'll do it someday, right? And, you know, especially hard drive enclosures with a uh, uh, a decent laptop drive in it. Is shockingly cheap for a hell of a lot of storage these days. Yeah, one of my my game drives is an external SSD. I don't remember how I got this SSD, but I just bought an enclosure and put uh, a 500 gig SSD in that enclosure, and I use that for one of my primary drives to game off of, just over USB 3.0. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's not as fast as uh, you know SATA three. SSD, but it's still like three or four times faster than a hard disk. Yeah, plus, yeah. Uh, for some games, it doesn't matter as much, especially things that you just load everything in and then you're not dro- bringing anything in from the drive itself. That's true. Or older retro games that you know, are pretty small to just load up, but yeah, you, know, you could have a ton of them. Right. So, yeah. Um, all right. A little off second... base, but still, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a good one that I also wouldn't have thought of probably, you know, maybe if I sat for a really long time and thought about it, but had a week and I didn't come up with it. So anyways, my second book um, was the other book that I used for uh, my master's thesis. Um, Something that doesn't get covered a lot, and maybe there have been some books that have been written since. I haven't looked into this, but um, I was working on my, you know, my master's thesis in the early to mid, you know, 20 teens, like 2014, 2015. Um, so I wanted a book that covered or that talked about religion and gaming that wasn't like, oh, video games are bad. They're Satan and the devil. So it, it there's this book that I got called Of Games and God. And it's an interesting look at video games through particularly a Christian perspective. Um, there is certainly some stuff in there that I wholeheartedly don't agree with and don't agree with their opinions or conclusions, but to even get a, a semblance of, okay, here's, you know, how Christians like a Christian gamer approaches video games was interesting. And for my purposes provided some good insight into how religion, um, views gaming in a modern context. And so there, there are several chapters in there that talk about, um, religious expression through video games and how video games can help flush out um, a person's religious understanding no matter what their religious background is. Like some stuff that you wouldn't think would be in a Christian book about video games. Um, and then there's a couple chapters in there that are unfortunately like, you know, video game player bashing because, you know, the devil and all that jazz. But surprisingly an an interesting book and it you know for your purposes you as the potential you know purchaser or reader of this book it provides an interesting lens into how a huge chunk of the world potentially sees gamers and it's not all bad and it's not all condemnation some of it is to be sure but there are some interesting points of view in there and if you're someone who wants to sort of expand your understanding or just get a different take on something. I haven't found a book 
or any sort of work really that that speaks to a religious perspective. Granted, I haven't looked in probably four or five years, so who knows? Maybe something out there is is better and more specific to that purpose. But you know, I have experience with this book, and I you know can recommend it to for that purpose. Okay, so this one is kind of a odd one, but this is something that pops up for me during the summertime. And just hear me out on this one, all right? A small fan, all right? Where I record and where I game primarily is the spare room of a house... uh, me and my girlfriend are running and it gets damn hot in here and a small handheld fan that I have propped up on the desk is a very nice bit of relief and it's one of those things that I didn't really think about it until I sat and really started thinking about this list and just a kind of a more general thing but think about what the gamer uh could use that might not be the obvious thing. In this case, for me, it was the the small you know USB fan. But yeah, just take a moment and uh, think about uh, who you're gifting towards and what would be a nice luxury. It could be a fan. It could be you know a little mini fridge or something. Something that is a luxury that would be useful that might not be the yeah. The big ticket, you know, oh my god, the the new PlayStation or the new Xbox. But, yeah, you know, it's something that would be useful on an everyday basis. Or, I guess in my case, you know, half the year, right? Yeah. But, that, that, uh, I, I, like I said, it, it's kind of a silly one, but, right? Yeah. But that's that's not silly though. I mean, I have a fan in my office. It's not a small fan. I have mm-hmm. a really big office space, yeah, so I've see. got like a a box floor fan. Um, yeah, see, but uh, I used to have a mini fridge. Yeah, and that was great. Yeah, and, and here there's a ceiling fan, but it interferes with recording, so I can't use it uh, on any decent speed. So yeah, hmm. yeah. So I on a, a quick note before my next one, I just did a quick. Uh, search for like religious video game textbooks or books not textbooks and i found a textbook that was published last year so 2019 called gaming in the divine a new systemic theology of video games put together by someone a group the rutledge new critical thinking and religion theology and biblical studies group which sounds (laughs) it's a textbook so who knows how like good or boring or interesting it is and if it wasn't a hundred fucking dollars, I'd buy it. But I'm not spending a hundred fucking dollars. I'll probably try and uh, what, it's probably somewhere the, to pirate. What was the name of that one? Hang on. Gaming in the Divine, a uh, new systemic theology of video games. Welcome to the I guess religious studies portion of the podcast. I'm just seeing if it's on the uh thrifting uh site I like to go to. Oh might help if I didn't. I use in and not and. Whoops. Because why the hell not, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I if I really get interested enough in it, honestly, I'd probably just pirate it. There's actually plenty of, of ways to pirate textbooks. Yeah. 
I would know. I pirated almost all of my textbooks when I was in school. Yeah, well, so. well, the thrift site that I showed Anita, I, she was immediately, uh, uh, this is the one that I get a bunch of my cookbooks and random shit from. Uh, she said, oh, that better not have existed when I was in college. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, anyways. it is listed on there, but uh, it's only uh, new. And you take a hundred fucking dollars, they have it for the list price. How much is it at the list price? One hundred seventy-one. Okay, yeah. So, eh, if I could find it for like less than ten bucks, I might. I could probably. I would probably buy it. Read uh, it. Because I'm a fucking weirdo. Who well, likes hey, to you, shit like you that. could rent it uh, on Amazon for the Kindle for ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I would read the whole thing in the time it would take me to. Re- I mean, if it's a textbook, it's going to be three hundred pages of two hundred seventy-eight. Well, well, I was close. <laughs> fairly dry reading. Um, okay. Anyways, my actual next thing, uh, a, a silly book. Uh, things I learned from Mario's butt. Um, this is like a tabletop or, you know, like a coffee table or a bathroom style book, um, that was written by Laura Kate Dale, AKA Laura K. Buzz. Um, uh, I, here and... I thought it was going to be from, uh, Richard Tingle. <laughs> no. Oh wait, it's out of, not in it, but. Right. Um, I just but anyways, got you off track. <laughs> you did. You did. Um, I remember Richard Tingle. Yes, indeed. Uh, pounded in the butt by my own butt. That was. Oh, you my... know he has a COVID uh, in the butt now, but right. Oh my God, he must have. I haven't looked up any of his stuff in probably a year, so he must have. Anyways, anyways. So this is like a coffee table or a bathroom style book. Um, I believe it's forty iconic video game butts, and they're being illustrated by someone that i don't know oh sorry it's um, chuck little, tingle by the way whoops and have little blurbs in there written by various video game pundits like jim sterling and um you know laura herself does a bunch of them um but i i bought this <laughs> i think a year ago and the print copies are just being released and then there's a pdf of it so i think i'm supposed to get my copy in september or not september february i think is when i'm, when I'm supposed to get my copy um so, very excited for things I learned from Mario's butt. Uh, and a quick side note, uh, look at the what I just sent you. <laughs> wow. That's his latest one, by the way. Somebody's been nice. in quarantine because he has a bunch just this year. Good for him for making that quarantine time productive. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you can get... Uh, do you want to read that one? <laughs> I probably will. Um, it looks like... Oh, there's some other stuff along with this too. But it, you can get the digital copy still. And you can get the audiobook version still. Looks like the uh, their first run of actual physical books has sold out. But they might do a second run in the future. Um, and then there might be some available on, on like Amazon and stuff. So... Yeah, things I learned from Mario's butt. Yeah, I'm just sitting here marveling at just how prolific this guy is. Sorry, I I, I got distracted by Chuck Tingle's butt. 
Indeed. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, another more general one, but this one, there's such a wide crossover that I think it's kind of a safe, uh, uh, not quite general uh, pick, but a more targeted one. Lego bricks. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice. There, there's yes. a strong correlation between gamers and Lego. And there's also a lot of gaming-related sets if you want to go down that path. Where, yeah, you could get the Minecraft sets. You could get the, I'm sure there's the Fortnite sets. There's all sorts of different, you know, theme sets of Lego. You could go to Etsy and get custom designed uh, sets you could get. Uh, there was uh, retro computer sets that people has built before where it's a little model of like a Tandy that you could open it up and it has a representation of the actual motherboard of the damn thing. It is damn impressive. So if you want to get custom sets going back to your, uh, your starving artist uh, point, where somebody has designed, uh, built, and is marketing custom uh, Lego sets, you could do that as well, where you can get things that you, know, you probably wouldn't think of. Or just you know, go on eBay and get Bucket of Lego, which is now slowly coming down in price after the COVID has you know, like tripled the price of Lego because you know, everybody was stuck at home for six damn months, right? Yeah, but I don't think it's a you know, a no brainer on this one. You have to have some sort of idea of what they would like, what they would enjoy, but also, yeah, right. Indeed, it's something to consider. Right. Yeah. All right the the last one that I have, so my last recommendation. This one is called uh, another book. Game Worlds Get Real, How Who We Are Online Became Who We Are Offline. And this is a more recent publication. Um, let's see. Actually, I'm not 100% sure when this one released. Or was first printed or sold or whatever. Um, I... Uh, 2017. So I, I... I didn't do any significant work on this. Um, I actually found this guy, like, when he was writing the book, um, was getting stuff from Reddit. Um, this is written by a sociologist. Uh, and he was, you know, combing through Reddit and doing surveys and stuff, like, asking people about their experiences with gaming. Um, and while he was putting together, you know, um, this huge survey of information, and I responded to one of those and had a conversation with them and reviewed some of the some of the stuff for the book. Like, you know, a little snippet of it. Like, I didn't review, like, the whole book. It certainly was not proofreading, because I can't proofread for shit. But um, as a marriage and family therapist, I was a discipline that he hadn't talked to in the psychology field. And this book is all about the the psychology and the sociology of video games over the last 20 years and how it's translated into real-world stuff that we can see, both from a business side and a gameplay side. And how certain things like, you know, stuff like how role-playing has changed over the years and how uh, things like gatekeeping have affected the, the gameplay spaces and 
just a lot of, of sociology stuff. Again, this is also not like a textbook. It's designed to be read by somebody who doesn't have a background in that information, but it's, it's a much more um, holistic look at the modern uh, psychology and sociology of, of video games and how they have played out in our real life and how the two affect one another. So I've, <laughs> I've never actually read the whole book. I only read the stuff that I worked on and then I got like a copy of it, you know, as like a thank you for, for what I had helped do. So I have a copy of this book uh, that I've never read and I probably should read it. Next couple of weeks would probably be a good time for me to read this book now that I'm thinking about it. But um, it is at least the part that I have read and worked on an excellent book. Okay. So. Well, uh, my next one actually might hit a little close to home for you. Okay. Uh, this is uh, skins and cases. So cases for phones, especially. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm triggered. Hardcore triggered. Uh, uh, cases for phones. If uh, uh, the person you're buying for has uh, either no case or a damaged case or yeah, uh, skin, uh, which I'm including as a more like overarching thing where there's. Skins for everything, for controllers, for uh, phones, uh, how you, you could get a PC case plastic dip for uh, Beat sake if you really want to. Uh, yeah. But uh, something to freshen up what they already have without spending a ton of money and also protect what they ha- already have. And I'll throw screen protectors in there as well. Uh, same idea uh, to prevent, you know, unnecessary damage to uh, their goods right right so since you're out should i finish off with my last general and then my uh, heart avoid yeah go for it okay so my last kind of general one is another like i could probably uh, put this in with the uh the uh, just quality of life thing, but I thought this was separate enough, especially with the new console generation coming out, that you know it needed to be its own thing. A decent HDMI switch. Because, you know, TVs and monitors only have so many ports on them, and things are getting a little bit crazy now, right? Yeah. Especially with somebody that uh, is a hardcore uh, console gamer that might want to hold on to their old console because there might not be backwards compatibility or they might be jumping ship to the other team. Or they might also have a, you know, a couple Nintendo products as well. You know, they're going to start having a, a bunch of cabling issues and a bunch of port issues. And a decent HDMI switch that can handle three or five uh, inputs into one uh, uh, port on the TV is a real lifesaver. And once again, one of those things that isn't necessarily expensive, isn't necessarily, you know, oh my God, uh, this is an amazing gift, but it's something that is more thoughtful and useful. Uh, At least in my personal opinion. So my hard avoid is, and I know we've talked about gamer stuff a bit already on this, you know, like gamer Legos, you know, uh, you can surely find gamer focused hard drive enclosures and yo, know. but I would avoid anything that's marketed heavily, heavily, heavily towards gamer. Yeah. You know, 
uh, this is most prevalent with like mice, with uh, headsets, keyboards, things that have that gamer tax that usually involve it being decent. It has RGB, but they added another 25% to the price tag, at least. If you want to get more bang for your buck and get an actual quality product as well, if you're like buying a headset, avoid the gamer headset and buy a good quality headphones and uh, an external microphone or a clip-on microphone. There's quite a few of those options these days that are completely wireless and very good microphones that together would be about the same price as you know that big name gamer headset same goes for keyboards there's quite a few gamer centric keyboards that are good but they're more expensive than a very good quality just standard keyboard and this could go you know uh, all over the place as well where you know hell even go all the way back to my first point I'm sure that there's countless gamer-focused snack boxes and that sort of thing, but do you really want to do that, or do you want to get something different, right? For most likely cheaper, right? Indeed. And this is something that is something that you need to look out for quite a bit, just buying in general, especially as gamers, is that sometimes, you know, what's marketed as gamer-friendly isn't exactly gamer-friendly, very true. Well, that's marketing for you just in general. Indeed. An update on uh, that textbook. Uh, I might have, uh, you know, picked up a copy that fell off the back of a Russian website. Yarg! So uh, I now have that, a PDF of that. So anyone who wants to read Gaming in the Divine, a new systematic theology of video games, and you don't want to download it off of some sketchy Russian website, I did the work for you. Let me know and I'll share you it. You mean you. in theory, right? And and yeah, this is all hypothetical, of course. Yeah, hypothetical. No it no no uh Russian piracy was committed on this day. Cause it's nighttime. Woo. Woo. Well, it's probably daytime in Russia. I mean Russia does span quite a few time zones. That is true. That is true. Let me just call up my old pal Putin and ask him. Hey, Putin. Hey, Poots. <laughs> Poots, my boy. That's my, uh, is that my Southern coming out? Let me call up my old friend Putin. And, and then he's uh, thinking, oh no, George W. got my new number. New phone, who this? W. <laughs> hey, Vlad. I can't, I can't, I don't think, I can't do a George Bush impression. Um, I don't worry, George that, Bush can't do a George Bush impression. That's fair. Was that your list? Yeah, that was my list. I wanted to finish on it, a heart of void, because that's one thing I thought of looking at uh, gift gods for ideas, uh, on top of just thinking about it, was, man, some of these, uh, I saw one uh, uh, gift god suggest a headset that was, Three hundred and fifty dollars. I'm saying you're thinking, boy, you could get a really, really, really good quality set of headphones for that. And most of the headsets that talk about surround sound, they're doing it with software anyway. So right? Yeah, 
Now, don't get me wrong. There are some that's true surround sound headsets, but they're not gaming focused headsets. No, at least honestly, the ones a good seen. stereo headset's good enough. Yeah, especially with uh, some of the stuff Windows has these days. Uh, for uh, uh, spe- uh, special sound. Indeed. Um. All right. Let's move on to our only news topic for the week. EverQuest is bigger than EverQuest 2. You put this on there, yeah. and you are the one out of the two of us with the experience with EverQuest. Yeah. So. Well, I've never actually played EverQuest 2, so I can't uh, say why one's better than the other. But, yeah, I played EverQuest for about five years. Damn, it's been almost 20 years ago. Or actually, it has been 20 years ago, because... Uh, I remember towards the end of my play, uh, EverQuest 2 had released and honestly didn't really garner that many players, at least in the beginning, because the, it's a problem of changing too much and while still maintaining the original as well, right? Yeah. So uh, this is kind of talking about the enduring legacy that is EverQuest. EverQuest was one of, if not the first 3D MMOs. And it was the MMO that everybody chased until World of Warcraft basically surpassed it. But also, it's one of those that kind of lessons of you don't, you can't outdo the uh, big game in town because you know they already has all that momentum. It had uh, uh, when EverQuest, or sorry, when EverQuest had when World of Warcraft came out. Probably about 10 expansions worth of content. And the way EverQuest kept uh, all their expansions relevant, that's a hell of a lot of content until World of Warcraft changed the model, essentially. Where EverQuest was more of like an open world. Uh, there's several places that you could go to uh, get your uh, uh, lovely experience. Uh, meanwhile, WoW was more the theme park of, okay, now you're going to go to this area and going to uh, run this quest line. Uh, And that's going to bread uh, crumb into this other quest hub that's going to have a bunch of quest lines that branches off from that. And once you exhaust that, another bread crumb quest will uh, do that and so on. But the fact that it's outperforming EverQuest 2 still 20 years later is astounding though, huh? Yeah. I mean, EverQuest is super, super popular. Well, it's also free-to-play these days. I think EverQuest 2 is as well, though. But uh, there's a certain charm of going back that far, you know? Yeah. They have updated the game significantly. There's 26 expansions now, by the way, <laughs> according to this article. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the 27th uh, due out this month. So, damn, right? So, yeah, but I mean, you know, if you've got a popular game that's been going on that long, mm-hmm. <laughs> the first live service. I mean, in a way, I, it was because, uh, you know, uh, at its height, it was pushing out more than one expansion a year. Uh, full priced expansions. I mean, even now, the expansions, they're still cheaper than what it was, but I'm just looking at it. They have four different. Okay, I'm going to have to research this real quick because they have four different ones to, uh, set to launch uh, in December. Uh, 
a standard that's $35, a collector's edition that's 90 a premium that's 140 and then a friends and family that's uh, the 250 What the fuck is in that one? Does it have a dragon in it? Right? Yeah. What is in the 200... Oh, it wants me to log in to be able to see that. What is in the... What is it? What's in it? Right? <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> yeah, but it looks like they're going back to one of the early expansions as well for... Uh, 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 content as well and expanding upon that. So it's an expansion for an expansion that's yeah, probably 15 years old at this point. Yeah. And they also have an all access pass that, uh, uh, which is something they talked about. That's a monthly subscription that uh, gives additional character slots, uh, early access to do content, uh, double uh, currency, uh, more coins, more uh, uh, faster mount speed. Ugh, right? <laughs> There's Beta Win for yeah. you. So. Oh wait, that's the EverQuest too. Sorry. Oh, uh, I think I I think I just found out why people aren't playing it, huh? Yeah, yeah. The EverQuest one uh, subscription it doesn't look nearly as pay to win, huh? Right. Could perhaps be contributing to its success. Perhaps continued success. Although it does look like it's an all inclusive uh, thing, so. Uh, it, it includes Planet Slide 2 and DC Universe Online, which, hey, that's still around, it looks like. Completely forgot about that one until it was on here. I also completely forgot about DC Universe Online. Well, you gotta admit, DC, they'll at least hold on to a game. Marvel, they'll pull the rug out from under you. Right? That is true. They will do that. Fuckos. <laughs> oh... Yeah, uh, but uh, according to the article, which is uh, linking to a press release, Daybreak doesn't exactly give direct uh, 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 numbers uh, for players, but um, as noted by Massively OP, during the year up to the 30th of September 2020, EverQuest made $11.5 million in revenue, while EverQuest 2 made $6.5 million. Oh, oh, they actually do have proper numbers, sorry. Uh, EverQuest has 66,000 subscribers and 82,000 monthly active players, while EverQuest 2 has 21,000 uh, subscribers and 29,000 monthly active players. So not many that are playing EverQuest 2 that are not just in the subscription already, huh? Yeah. Well, meanwhile, EverQuest, once again, still a large percentage, but yep, there's still quite a few that's just players. So, yeah, it's, and I think it just might be just some of the turnoff uh, from how they changed the storyline. They basically killed off a couple races that were uh, pretty popular and replaced them with, you know, kind of pseudo, uh, sort of this race, but not really. And that's just what I remember. I'm just wanting to see, looks like EverQuest 2 also has an expansion coming out. Because of course it does, right? Of course. It, 
That's what I'm looking at. It might just be, and I realize EverQuest is not a pretty game by today's standards. But EverQuest 2 is kind of in that uncanny valley where they tried to make things really realistic and really high poly. But it just brings out kind of the uh, flaws of the game. You know, uh, the world looks very dull and uh, at low uh, definition. And then all the player models are somewhat higher definition, but also a lot more detailed. Right? Yeah. Where everything in EverQuest, I should say, last time I looked, uh, it has its charm about it of being this low poly blocky mess. But we love it for it. Sweet. But yeah, it's just kind of an amusing topic to me that, uh, you know, EverQuest 1 is still chugging along, but chugging along so much better than its uh, predecessor, right? Yeah. Good for good for both of them. Yeah, I mean, they're both still making money, and since it's not an external uh, IP, they could just, yeah, it, if it's making enough money to, you know, warrant uh, expansions and uh, uh, development, uh, that's enough, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a uh, old mentality of, oh, it's making enough money, it's not modern game development where it has to make all the money or it's doomed, right? Yep. And I can't even think of the last time I saw an advertisement for EverQuest. <laughs> Let alone EverQuest 2. So it's... maybe I see I see stuff for EverQuest every once in a while, actually. I think I saw something about it within the last month. But I, I never see anything for EverQuest 2. Um, Alright. Ready to uh, move on? Yeah. Sweet. Um, I don't think... To EverQuest 3. I don't think we had anything for Community Corner. Honestly, I I didn't even think to check. Uh, there, was kind of there was nothing I saw. Uh, tonight. I checked the mailbag, uh, upset the moths, uh, uh, I put a fresh light in them, uh, in there to entertain them. No tweets. So if you wish to contribute, vglpodcast at gmail.com or vglpodcast on the Twitter. So doobly-doo for the Discovery queue indeed and i had mine ready yeah and i, I wow. was ready i have one yeah well i have Me one first. as well nickelodeon kart racers 2 grand prix where's the link i'll put the link first um i mean it's a, a kart racing game but it's nickelodeon characters i recognize some of them like spongebob and cat dog uh and and Aang from Avatar, so that's cool. I mean, I, I don't know if this is any good or not, but oh, it has I just wanted to reviews, beat but you. But that doesn't really say much. Yeah. Okay, so I, do you want an actually good game now? Yeah, please. Uh, so, Cooper World 4. This is the sequel to a game series that actually started on Flash, where you build essentially a network of defense turrets to push back the essentially kind of gray goo but kind of not and they changed things on this where it's in 3d now instead of a top-down perspective and but even though it's been top down for uh the last three main iterations there's always been a 3d element of the 
the creep, the slom that you're fighting and pushing back to try to destroy the uh, spawn points to be able to move on to the next area. Uh, it, it always has to kind of build and pool to be able to float up the mountains. And, and part of the gameplay of the previous ones was be able to figure out how to exploit how the creep flows to cut it off. Like if it's flowing through a small uh, valley or a small ravine, uh, if you bombard that enough that it destroys the creep before it's able to pour through, you could cut off the creep uh, past it and be able to push forward into that uh, area. And at least the early games, you're able to reposition your turrets at will. You have a kind of a Protoss-esque uh, power grid, which it looks like they still have on this, where think of it uh, like a power line or, or, or a, dis- a proper dis- uh, distribution center where everything has to be hooked up. And uh, even the ammo that your guns fire is made in your capital city that has to be protected at all costs. And it goes along this network to feed your guns, to power, the power flows along it to power your guns and power your defenses. And you can move everything at will, at least in the early games. I'm not sure if you can on this one, but it still has to be connected. And that's the big flaw of your design, of, uh, of your defenses, I should say, not the gameplay, is having to protect this. So... Yeah, very interested uh, in this. It's getting overwhelmingly positive reviews right now. A lot of people are saying that's a good sequel. And good to see them also changing up the gameplay and entering the third dimension. Indeed. So I got a weird one. Uh, It's called Drive 21. This looks like someone is like, how can I take... This looks like someone said, how can I take a game like Euro Truck and make it worse? Um, I mean, that's I'm being unkind. Perhaps it's a good game. But it looks like you're like a private delivery driver. And you can buy like various trucks or cars or van. Or tents. And do deliveries for people. And deliver like packages or pull like small trailers although it looks like they've just added buses yeah it looks like so it's, i don't know if you're a, yeah it looks like it's a, still an early early development though i mean the yeah. current version is 0.01.2 so damn right yeah but apparently there's a <laughs> i missed this when i looked at it the first time apparently there's a hunger and thirst system and a barbecue and camping system so that's a thing. Yeah, maybe it could be good uh, in time, but right. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna write it off immediately. I mean, it's no, not, not either. Good, I was... a good start, but still. Yeah, I was being unkind when I said they took Euro Truck and tried to make it worse. But it doesn't look great now. But it's very, very, very early. It might be a little too early to put into early access, but eh, right. Yeah. But, you know, if it turns into something even halfway decent, you bet your ass I'd buy it and drive around like a weird bus thing with Mm -hmm. a funky-looking trailer. (laughs) Why not? It'd be relaxing. So, I got Dragon Quest XI. Sorry, XI S Echoes of Elusive Age. Trademark Definitive Edition. 
So this is also on Game Pass. So, uh, yeah, this is one that it's probably better to go try it out over there. If you're a fan of the Dragon Quest series, you know, you're probably all over this already. I've never really played Dragon Quest, so... Ah, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, what's kind of interesting is it looks like they go between the old, old school uh, pixel art and full 3D, and I'm not sure just how that works, if the, if it's some sort of like different areas or what. I still need to go play that. I have it downloaded. I just haven't played it yet. But yeah, definitely uh, worth at least checking out, right? Yeah. Um, so I got Unexpected Quest, uh, an adventure game with strategy and management, ele- management elements in a medieval fantasy setting. Drawing inspiration from classics such as Warcraft 3 and The Settlers, embark on quests, hunt down treasure, and manage your resources. You build, battle, cast magic, and brew potions. So this looks pretty neat to me. Like, I, I have played, if, if it's the game I'm thinking, I, I have played The Settlers, which was like a, you know a city building, like a light city building, light RTS kind of mix, where you would build up a little settlement and expand, and you would have quests to complete in order to conquer the territory. And some of them would be fighting, and you build an army, and some of them would be more about resource management and trade and stuff. Um, So if they are doing that, and then putting an extra layer of sort of strategy combat, you know, on top of it, uh, I guess, you know, citing Warcraft 3 as their inspiration. Like, that sounds pretty cool. I, I, I could be down for that. It's only $13, too. It, and it's not saying it's an early access. So, hopefully that's a good sort of expectation setting for, like... If this is, like, an 8 to 10 hour, like, little sort of weird, like, adventure game. Like, city management adventure game. I would totally be all about that. $13. Damn, I'm tempted to buy that right now. I'm not going to, though, but I'm tempted. So, I got Phoenix Point Year One Edition. So, this is from the creator of XCOM. So, yeah, a huge pedigree to begin with. It looks like a more sci-fi version of XCOM. Uh, According to the reviews, though, don't go in expecting essentially XCOM 3. There's... uh, quite a few differences, but it is tactical, uh, you know, uh, uh, squad tactics with uh, a lot of movement uh, options. Uh, Phoenix Point was designed by Julian Gullop, the creator of XCOM series in the 90s. So old school XCOM creator. Dragaining the core ethos of XCOM while updating the visuals, technology, and systems to modern standards. So, yeah, right? And this yeah. includes all the DLC. I guess it released a while back, and it flew under my radar, at least. I don't recall it, yeah. at least. It's 50% off for the year one edition, so 30 bucks. And it looks like it has the old-school base building as well. So nice. At least according to the some of the screenshots. So more Xenonauts than uh, modern XCOM. So that's a uh, uh, welcome change, huh? Yeah be all about that look some more into it something i'm tempted to buy mm-hmm. i mean that's definitely going on the wish list yep um so i got one angel legion beyond fantasy i mean it's an an idle game but the way that they're showing it makes it look like there's also like a strategy element on top for active gameplay when you're actually playing it could be wrong it's free to play 
It's got scantily clad, sexy, sci-fi anime girls. So, you know. Of course it does, right? Why not give it a shot? I know I'm going to. Yeah, you might actually play the game, too. I might. So, I got something a little bit different. I got Suzerain. Uh, not exactly sure how to pronounce that one. Uh, as President Rain leads Scotland, I'm oh, sorry, Sorland, yeah, the Umat made it look like Scotland there for a moment, and to ruin or repair during your first term in this text-based role-playing game, navigate a polemical drama driven by conversations with your cabinet members and other significant figures. Very interesting, to say the least. Uh, there's been a few of these pop up, uh, uh, pl- uh, political drama strategy games where you're not in direct control of the country, you're trying to essentially a visual novel for lack of a better term with a little bit more gameplay but it looks like there's some sort of uh, system where there's a lot of uh, factions against you as well and possibly sacrificing your family <laughs> so interesting in- and different interesting. ways to play so, yeah, definitely worth a, a look-see. And some pretty good reviews overall, with the top one being a negative, but eh, just counterbalance some things. Yeah. Um. So, this looks really intriguing. Mobius Front 83. Defend America from an alternate universe America using state-of-the-art 1980s military hardware in this intricate tactical turn-based strategy game. It's a hex-based turn-based strategy game. And it's Zactronics. Yeah. This looks really good. Zactronics is known for doing really, really good, really deep, and sometimes really weird games. It's got a really good art style. Um, Looks like there's some sort of uh, programming built into it as well. Yeah. Uh, on the programmable radio yeah on that programmable radio I'm assuming that it's not as crazy as it looks and some sort of card game Uh, uh, cribbed solitaire wait what Uh, solitaire yeah on uh, the next to last one oh might be uh, a a secondary like mini game Uh, Zachtronics has had uh, other games where they have uh uh, some uh, oddball mini game that gives bonuses, but completely optional. A lot of negative reviews for it, though. Talking about balance issues, mostly. Yeah. I, I like the look of this. Be all about that. Alright. So, ooh. This, uh, talk about uh, some old school shit earlier. Shadow Empire. Uh, feels like Masters of Orion, honestly. Uh, old school, turn-based, uh, 4X strategy game. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe not, uh, 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 Masters of Orion, that's a bad example, because at first it looked, uh, a lot more sci-fi than what, well, it's still sci-fi, but it looks like it's more focused on ground combat than I was thinking it was. Overall, it still looks very impressive. I mean, it, is, it has a very dated visual to it. 
But, right, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing either. Because yeah. if uh, X4 or, or, oh, sorry, 4X can uh, be a lot deeper and just have very, very, very basic uh, uh, graphics and let the imagination take over, right? Yeah. It's all gameplay on that one. And it looks very, very deep. Crazy deep. That is really interesting. So I got uh, Battlestar, not a Battlestar Galactica thing, but an anime chibi JRPG. Um, I don't see anything skimming through this that's talking about like microtransactions it feels like there's gotcha mechanics in there with like star ratings on the heroes that you get mm-hmm. but i mean you i mean you can totally use that system without needing like premium currency i guess you're just so used to oh never mind it's free to play Fuck. yeah i was about to say i missed uh... that okay all right so there's bound to be that in there it still looks cute as hell i'm up for i mean if it's well animals. balanced and it's not a requirement to play right yeah but yeah so, I got. I think this came out on Game Pass as well. Uh, I I did get Deep Speed Must Wanted Remastered, but fuck that, right? We covered that yeah. a while back. So I got Call of the Sea, a otherworldly tale of mystery and love, set in the 1930s South Pacific. So an exploration. Uh, not walking simulator, I don't think. It looks like it has... Uh, it's just an exploration game. And it looks fucking beautiful. Just something about how they're rendering everything. Might just be the lighting of it all, you know? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this is on Game Pass as well. I need to go check that out if it is. Just double checking. And... I think it is. Come on, load. Yeah, it's on uh, Game Pass, so definitely going to check that one out. So, you're up. Yeah, so I got one that, it, because it's a porn game, I'm not going to put a link to it in the description, but it actually looks like a good game with just adult pornographic elements to it. Uh, Sexina Arena Tales. <laughs> it's a puzzle... Uh, puzzle adventure visual novel type game where that you're a gladiator who fights monster girls in a Roman style, you know, Colosseum arena. Uh, and there are definitely breasts exposed for your pleasure in many of the screenshots, but it actually looks like a real game instead of just being like, hey, look, some boobies, pay me some money for these boobies. So, you know, that's always worth a mention for me. It's 10 bucks, I might buy it. It's on, it's on the list of things I might just buy. Because uh, boobies, right? Absolutely. So, I got Atir Razia to Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy. This is an anime uh, RPG. This is the second one in the series. The It's not coming out till uh, late January, so if you want to play the first one, well, there's a link to it down there at the at towards the end of the uh, story description. I mean, an anime RPG with 
uh, some very interesting looking uh, character progression. It does look like they didn't discount the original game though, so it's still sixty bucks. Damn right. Yeah, might be one to check out uh, if it goes on discount during the uh, uh, winter sale, huh? Yeah. But, yeah. It just has a certain charm to it. Not sure what it is, if it's just anime stuff or what. But yeah, there you go, right? Oh wait, that was the one okay, that was the one that you just had. That was I I gotta pull on that one. And I was like, Oh this looks cool. That sounds similar to what Rage is talking about. I guess like I missed the you pronounce like the yeah the title. Yeah, I probably Atel- butchered Atelier it. Atelier Ryza Two. I don't know how to pronounce that. I just got that one. Okay, cool. So my last four games in my queue were four games that you pulled. Because I got <laughs> Uh, uh, Rain and Shadow Empire and Call of the Sea and then Atelier Ryza. So that's my cue. My last four games were ones that you had already pulled. Okay, well, uh, how about Solitaire Conspiracy? Or how about The Solitaire Conspiracy? So. A spa solitaire game. Right? Right. Uh, It's on your want list, so you may have pulled this a week or two ago, because it does feel familiar, but, eh, right? Uh, This is... Yeah, uh, yeah, I did did pull this a few weeks ago. I was about to say, this is from the developer of Thomas Was Alone, and I remember talking about that. So, definitely an odd game. I think you pulled it before release so there's been reviews on it now and it's very polarizing on the couple top reviews so definitely I think mileage may vary if you're into this sort of game but if you are and that's your jam right indeed so what the hell is this alright what the hell just because this is a game that doesn't pop up too much in the West. The Conquest of Go. So it is Go. <laughs> uh, but it looks like some, possibly some sort of twist on it as well, or it might just be different boards. Where, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Go is a game of taking uh, territory by surrounding and jumping your opponents with the. Uh, Either white or black uh, uh, tiles. It's one of the oldest games out there, but it's also one that's just so complex that, uh, in strategy, that uh, even the best computers are still struggling with it. Looks like there's a lot of stuff here to figure out how to play the game better as well, which is interesting. And there's a campaign mode. <laughs> Uh, play uh, matches in several different terrains and board sizes depending on the size of the environment of the land uh, conquered. Uh, cities are populated uh, within conquered land and supply the resources to the army. That is wild. So, a roguelite go game, right? That is interesting. Yeah, I'll give it that much, right? Yeah. So. This one looks interesting just because it's invoking other games. So, Tinkertown. A 
online open world crafting Stardew Harvest Moon esque uh, valley game where you are. Uh, <laughs> well, they just say uh, a new multiplayer sandbox experience, so you're doing your own thing. Explore magical places filled with loot and danger. It's still in very early access, though. But some of these screenshots look very, uh, uh, damn it, now I'm blanking on the, uh, a Don't Starve uh, vibe. It's interesting, though. And I'm just sitting here, look at the trailer. It, yeah, it does have kind of a Don't Starve vibe to it as well. But with a little bit of uh, Minecraft or Terraria thrown in as well. And my last one is your big, dumb uh, shoot dinosaur game. So I'm going to skip it. <laughs> big, dumb shoot dinosaur game. Yep. You, you know exactly which one, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that is my cue done. Woo. All right. Not, not a bad one well, overall. I mean, you kind of got boned there at the end, huh? Because... Right. I did. Yeah. That's okay. It happens sometimes. I still got like what? F- five? Six? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. So not, st- still not terrible. But. Already. Hey, Rach. No, not. But you know what is great? When you hit them with them socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me uh, occasionally tweeting on Twitter, GamerCR. Or it could be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. On Twitter, at JMA4707, where I tweet constantly. And uh, if you want to be my friend on Steam, you can send a friend request to JArthur4707. And if you wish to let me know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is NORATH. NORATH. The world of uh, uh, EverQuest, or at least one of them, well, because you know, it, yeah, planes of uh, different planes of existence, and right, and right, and boy, the uh, the ads on the uh, EverQuest fandom uh, wiki are rather sexy. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, at least they know their uh, uh, demographic, right? Their audience, yeah, yeah, because. Let's put it this way. Not a fucking single screenshot of uh, some of these zones. But there is a very skinny clad uh, woman on here. So, right? The breasts, are they exposed for our pleasure? No. Close to it, but no. no. Well, you know, close enough can still be good. (laughs) Oh, God, I love that some of these uh, level range, question mark, question mark. Uh, type of uh, z- uh, zone type outdoor, uh, <laughs> but j- just bare bones uh, information. But eh. but this is also probably I don't think this is the well traveled wiki anymore. They may have changed uh, what the uh, more popular one is. As a matter of fact, probably did. I mean, it's been a while, right? Right, but. Anyway, once again, you can contact us at at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, or tweet them to us via 
GL Podcast on the Twitter. Or if you wish to drop by our Discord, you can find a link to that over on the website, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which has links to not only the Discord, but all our stuff. Host the sh- uh, host the show notes, the RSS feed, or you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Oh, and, <clears throat> oh sorry, I started to cough there. Uh, and once again, a, a big thank you to our patrons who help fund this absolute madness. You can find out more at patreon.com slash Podcast. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Key music is Doobly Doo. Both by Ken McLeod. Both can be found at copytech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.